This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, it's the inaugural episode of The Breaking Pod. Hopefully you all have listened to the trailer. You know what's coming, but I am so excited to kick off episode one right here as we start and we are going to be talking about episode one, the pilot of Breaking Bad. And as promised in the trailer to this podcast, I am joined by my co-host, Josh Goldman, who is no stranger to the world of pop culture and film and television, as he is the host of the popular podcast, The Popcast, also on the Vernacular Podcast Network. Josh, how are you doing tonight? I don't, well, let me back up. I know you're doing well because your UVA Cavaliers have just bought themselves a ticket to the championship game in the NCAA tournament. So congratulations on that. But besides from that, aside from that, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I am really excited to do this podcast. So Zach had suggested to me that we, he had, he had thought about doing this for a while. I think you'd been, you'd been kicking this idea around. And when we had dinner together, when I was in Austin, he threw it out to me and I said, you know what? I've been meaning to rewatch Breaking Bad for a long time and this is a perfect opportunity to do so. So I've only seen the series once all the way through. I think this is your third time Correct, through? Correct, yep. Okay, so both of us have the full knowledge of the series, but we're excited to recap it episode by episode to talk about the deeper themes of this show. Yeah, I am super excited as well, and it is kind of funny how that happened. So Josh visited us, what, three weeks ago now, Josh? Yeah. Here in Austin for South by Southwest, a, a film and culture and technology festival. And we had a great dinner together. And then Josh and I actually did a podcast that night for one of our other podcasts called The Lineup. It's a sports podcast. And we had talked about the National League East. It was a baseball conversation. But basically, in the course of that evening, yeah, we started talking about TV and what television shows we liked. And I just mentioned my love for Breaking Bad and my conviction that it is the best television show ever made. So I'll I'll make that claim right here. And I think the way the conversation started was that I made a claim that I thought another show may be the best that's ever been made. And I said The Americans, which I think I yep. said on the podcast as well. It is so a good one. It is a good show. So I think this podcast for me, Breaking Pod, will be an examination. Do, do I really think that The Americans is the best show? Or am I going to return to thinking Breaking Bad is the greatest show of all time? Yeah. Well, and I think the nice thing about that, Josh, is that as you think about that and as our listeners listen to this show, we can figure out if the format is good and if people like it. And if they do, then maybe our next series, after we do the episode-by-episode episode series of Breaking Bad, maybe our next series will be The Americans. Oh, man. Let's do it. Let's uh, let's see how this one goes. Well, should we kick things off? Let's talk about episode one, the pilot. Let's do and it. Let's do the it. Episode, the episode title for this is simply Pilot. So uh, there are there are some creative names for the Breaking Bad episodes as we progress through, and we'll be talking about each of those. But the first one is Pilot. And Breaking Bad starts with Walter White, this, this man who we'll learn more about as the episode progresses. He's driving an RV, and he's sitting, his un- sitting in his underwear. Uh, he's driving this RV frantically, speeding down what looks like a desert road in the middle of nowhere, uh, there are what appear to be bodies sliding around in the back of the RV. This man, Walter, is wearing a gas mask, as is the person who's sitting next to him in the passenger seat. And that person, by the way, appears to be unconscious. <laughs> so you're watching this as the show opens. This is before even the credits roll. And you're thinking, how in the world did he end up in this situation? I just, Josh, when I watch that, I almost have the uh, 
have the words of that like meme playing in my head like you're probably wondering how i ended up yeah here or whatever, record right? scratch it's yeah, like exactly. how did i end up here exactly. yeah and the, the very first shot of the show is these this pair of pants just fluttering through the air and then the rv zooms past them it's it's quite an opening for a show i have to say yeah it really is and then we get to this scene where uh, walter steps out of the rv after he crashes it in a ditch he pulls out this camcorder turns it around faces it toward himself and then we get this. My name is Walter Hartwell White. I live at 308 Negra Arroyo Lane, Albuquerque, New Mexico, 87104. To all law enforcement entities, this is not an admission of guilt. I am speaking to my family now. <laughs> Skyler, you are the love of my life. I hope you know that. Walter Jr., you're my big man. There are, there are going to be some things, things that you'll come to learn about me in the next few days. I just want you to know that no, no matter how it may look, I only had you in my heart. So a pretty dramatic scene there, and I have to say, Josh, the first thing is a masterpiece of acting by Brian Cranston here because he's coming off of this scene that I just relayed where the viewer is wondering, what is this man doing driving an RV in his underwear, frantically looking like he's fleeing from somebody or something, and then he has this very heartfelt, emotive scene where he's literally, what, what we're seeing is the footage from the from him holding the camcorder in front of his face and it cuts it cuts back and forth between you know a camera that's watching brian cranston hold the camera and the actual camera footage itself but this i think just sets it up from the beginning josh that this is a very very good actor and is going to be a very impressive show if if they can pull it off because this this man's talent behind the camera is incredible well i think too People have to remember it that at this point, when Breaking Bad first premiered in 2008, you know, now we know Brian Cranston as an Oscar nominee. He's a multiple Emmy winner for this show in particular. But at the yeah. time, his biggest role, I think, was Malcolm in the Middle, you know, which was a comedic role. Right. Yeah. Totally different. Right. So to see him in this dramatic role and right off the gate, just coming out and and delivering this great monologue, I think I think it's it's it is a good foreshadowing of what is to come in terms of his acting. I think also we have to point out here that the writing and the directing of this scene, and in particular, the way to kick off this pilot with this sort of flash ahead, because we don't know what's happening, was a right. really smart turn by Vince Gilligan, the creator. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And then basically from there, he he ends the footage and he gets ready. I think he grabs a gun from his... Uh, from the, it's actually tucked into the waistband of his underwear, and he prepares to meet the whatever's coming. So you hear those sirens in the background. Uh, he thinks that those are those are cops uh, arriving on scene. So he's very much prepared to, uh, you know, to meet meet his end or go to jail or whatever the case is. But he's anticipating that his family will be able to see that footage, and that's what he says. You know, I I need you to know that I only had you in my heart. Goodbye. Very dramatic. We, we basically cut from there to the opening credits. And then we we ended up uh, flashing back three weeks. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But Josh, I want to use this 
really kind of to frame our discussion of this episode and more broadly the entire show because I think this scene with the camcorder sets up the viewer for what I would contend is the central question or tension in the entire arc of Breaking Bad as a show. And that question is essentially this. Is Walt, Walter White, is he a good person who becomes bad because he's driven by circumstances that are largely outside of his control or continually making decisions that have consequences he couldn't possibly foresee? Or, so, so basically that's sort of the, the victim argument. He's a you know good person who ends up in a bad situation. Or, on the other hand, is he a bad man who is, who is finally able to realize his ambitions once he's free of these behavioral expectations that have tied him down for so long? So, so if we set up that as the essential tension, is he a, a good man in a bad situation or is he a bad man who is able to thrive in a bad situation? Where do you where do you fall if that's a if that's just a and I, I get that there's nuance and the the truth is very very likely probably somewhere in between but if we make that a binary proposition where do you fall on that question? I think you have to consider sort of what we know about Walter. Let's just say for the first episode here, and we will, we will get into some general spoilers in this podcast. We won't get into specifics. So if you haven't watched the show all the way through. Never fear, we're not going to spoil key plot points later down the road. So what I would say about Walter is my opinion is that he's ultimately a good person when we meet him. And I think that he's driven to do what he does initially because of the circumstances that are thrust upon him. He feels like he has no other option, even if there are other options. I mean, as a viewer, you sit back and you look at what he chooses to do and you think, gosh, there are so many other things you could have chosen to do. Like, there have to be other options here than going down what we learn to be later in the episode is a criminal path here, cooking meth. So for me, I think that ultimately he's a good person, but he's driven to do this um, because of the circumstances that he faces. Zach, what about you? You know, I think I actually fall on the opposite of that, Josh. I I certainly understand where you're coming from, and I think there's a very reasonable argument to be made that he is a good person who is caught up in circumstances. But, and, and we'll talk about this, of course, as we go through the entire episode, and like you said, I don't want to make specific spoilers, but I do think we see some key evidence, even this early in episode one of the pilot, that there's there's something amiss in the heart of Walter White. And yes, that's true on the camcorder. He says, I only had you in my heart. But as we as we will soon find out by the end of this episode, lots of the things leading up to that camcorder scene suggest that Walter didn't just have his family in his heart when he was making all of those decisions. So I, I think, like I said, there's there's shades of gray here and lots of nuance and the truth is very likely somewhere in between. But if I were to come down on one side, I think I would say that he's actually a bad man who is able to make decisions once he feels like he's free of the expectations to do otherwise. And do you think we'll, it's possible? Do you think it's possible though to start as a good person and then once you go down a certain path, you you can change and become a bad person? So so he can start as a good person who was thrust into these this situation because of circumstances, but then as he continues down that he can actually change as a person and become inherently bad. Yes, I definitely think that's true. And I mean, really, that goes to a conception of the human person that's as old as Aristotle. Just that, you know, our, our, our habits are what 
strengthen and habituate the virtues within us. And if we have bad habits, we will become bad people. And if we have good habits, then we will become or remain good people. So I definitely think you're right. And that would be, that would be sort of a middle ground between these two propositions that uh, he is a good person. And then by the end, he's a very bad person. I think we'll also get into this a little bit in a couple episodes because we do see a couple flashbacks to earlier in his life. We we won't get into them right now because there aren't any in the first episode, but it'll be interesting to look at those flashbacks and, and examine whether in the brief time that we see him in those flashbacks, does he seem like a good person at that time with good intentions? Yeah. And then maybe there was a break. If, if your theory holds true, maybe there was a break between that flashback and the time that we see him because when we're meeting him now, he's just turning 50. Right. Yeah. That's a really good question. Well, speaking of flashbacks, let's actually start with the very first one in the show. So I outlined the the opening scene and the camcorder scene for you, and then we cut to credits. And when the credits come back, we are we are in the house of the Whites. So uh, Walter and his wife Skyler, and his son Walt Jr. Um, his wife, we will learn very soon, is pregnant. So uh, the four of them are in their fam- in their home together. We flash back. We learn that it is Walt's fiftieth birthday, so he's just getting up in the morning, starting breakfast. His wife Skyler is celebrating by plating some vegan bacon for him. I'm not sure if any of our listeners have had vegan bacon, but it sounds uh, sounds less enjoyable than regular bacon. Have you had vegan bacon, Josh? No, and I hope to never have vegan bacon <laughs> in my yeah, life. They, they make a good job of uh, of selling it pretty well here. Uh, Josh, I know you, sell, you asked to include the bacon uh, clip in this, so do you have any thoughts on the vegan bacon? <laughs> well, I think that what I would say about this scene is that I think it's just a good representation of his life at this point. So we get a good idea of of what he is facing on a day-to-day basis here. All right, great. Well, I'll roll tape. I will tell our listeners I omitted a little bit of the middle dialogue where Walter Jr. gets a little bit lippy with his parents uh, I, and only omitting it for time. So we have a, a slightly condensed scene here, but I think it captures everything that, that Josh had in mind with the vegan bacon's portrayal or the vegan bacon as a metaphor for Walt's life. Here it is. Happy birthday. Look at that. That is veggie bacon. Believe it or not, zero cholesterol and you won't even taste the difference. Hmm. What time do you think you'll be home? Same time. I don't want him dicking you around tonight. You get paid till five, you work till five, no later. Uh-huh. Hey. Hey, happy birthday. Well, thank you. You're late. <coughs> Did you take your echinacea? No. I think it's getting better. What the hell is this? Hey. It's veggie bacon. We're watching our cholesterol, I guess. Not me. I, I want real bacon. Not, not this fake crap. Too bad. Eat it. This smells like... Band-Aids. Eat it. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm with Walter Jr. there. This smells like Band-Aids. Yeah, I think that the the visual of the vegan bacon, I think either Walt Jr. or Walter himself holds it up and it just sort of limps over. I just think yep. that's such a good visual for how this scene feels to watch. It's, it's almost like I think everybody in their life has had a moment where you're just sort of in the routine and things are feeling pretty blah overall. But this scene is just so representative of, of how this family just feels like stuck in a rut almost. 
Yeah, and I, I think totally that, agree with you. The and and we're in the, their house, and the all of the scenes that are ever filmed in their house are pretty dark and not quite sepia tone, but they're not colorful. Like you don't get the impression that there's a lot of a lot of daylight, a lot of vibrancy in that house. It feels very repetitive. Uh, the you know the veggie bacon, like you said, is a is a great metaphor for Walt's life. And you even heard it in that conversation. I, I'm glad you pointed this out, Josh, because when I first watched this, I didn't pick it pick up on it. But even the scene about uh, or the question that Skyler has for Walt about what time are you coming home today? What's he say? Same time, right? This is just yeah. like, it's, it's my 50th birthday, but it's it's just another day. It's the same thing that we always do. Yep. He's going, going to he's, work, exactly. coming home at the same time, nothing yep. special. Yeah, yep. it's really interesting. Yeah, so I'm really glad you called that out. Uh, we heard now for the first time, Walter Jr. and Skyler. So Skyler is Walt's wife. Walter Jr. is Walt's son. He's in high school. He appears to have cerebral palsy. And um, this whole scene, like we've said, like we've discussed, it sets up Walter as a very mild-mannered middle-aged man. Uh, we soon discover he is a brilliant high school chemistry professor, and we're about to play a scene from his chemistry class that I think illustrates one his intelligence, but two, I think this is another metaphor. And Josh pointed this out for me; I didn't see it before either. But I think this is a metaphor for some of what Josh was talking about: a, a person's ability to grow, to decay, to transform over the course of their life based on the choices that they're making. So here is the chemistry class conversation. Electrons, they change their energy levels. Molecules, molecules change their bonds. Elements, they combine and change into compounds. Well, that's, that's all of life, right? I mean, it's just, it's the constant, it's the cycle, it's solution. This solution just over and over and over. It is growth, then decay, then transformation. I think it's just a really clever way to integrate his profession in the show, which is chemistry teacher and really scientist that we learn later that right. he, he did have more to do in the science field than, than being a teacher. I think it's a really good foreshadowing of, of what we're going to see a character evolving, growing, decaying, transforming. And again, we won't get into specific spoilers here, but I think it's safe to say that that Walt, due to his circumstances, will grow. He will decay in certain in certain senses, and then he will transform for good or for bad that we'll find out later. So I think it's just a really nice way, a really good piece of writing here in the pilot to set that up because it's probably not something you would think much about when you first see the show, but it's definitely something that as you rewatch the show, you pick up on things like that, that they were really clever from the very beginning about the arc of what we're going to see. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, right after this scene where we see him teaching in the high school, we also see him uh, working at a car wash. So he's clearly financially troubled because this mild-mannered chemistry genius is also, now we find out, working a second job at a car wash after work. So rewind to the scene that we just played in the the, the veggie bacon scene when his wife asks him what time, what time he'll be home and basically tells him, don't let them hold you late. Uh, we, we, begin to say, we begin to guess that perhaps he's uh, working a job here that she doesn't know about because... Uh, because just because he needs the extra money. So it's clear that he doesn't make much money on his job as a high school teacher. Maybe his wife does know about the second job. Maybe she doesn't, but he needs a second job. So he, he, he sees, uh, we see him here in this environment, and this is the first time that we see one of his serious coughing fits. Now, you heard the cough a little bit in the veggie bacon scene where he 
said that it was getting better, and Skyler asked him if he was taking his echinacea. Well, we see another bad coughing fit at the car wash the first time, but, but he ends up being okay, and then he comes home. And then uh, when he comes home, his wife throws him a surprise birthday party, so this is why she wanted him home on time. He doesn't appear to be super jazzed about this, so something's, something's going on. He just doesn't seem super thrilled about that. Uh, but the important thing about this birthday party is that during the party, his brother-in-law is there. His, his brother-in-law is a guy named Hank Schrader, and he's an agent for the DEA. Uh, now, the DEA recently did a drug bust, and the local news is showing it on TV. So Hank gathers everyone around the TV and basically narrates the drug bust as the news reports on it. He helped lead the bus. He's very proud of it. Well, Walter sees the money on the TV. It looks like a lot. And he asks Hank how much money it was. Hank says it was about 700K, which he describes as, quote, a pretty good haul. And then uh, Walt asks if that's a normal amount of money or if that's, you know, more than they normally see. And Hank basically casually says, no, that's not the most we've ever taken. And then he says, hey, Walt, you, should, you could come along on a ride along for my next bust, um, which Walt at the time declines. Can I just say about this surprise party? Yeah. To me, I think the scene might have deeper implications and more foreshadowing about him as a character, but I'm, I'm kind of with Walt. I'm not a huge fan of surprises. So yeah. if I walked home after a long day of teaching and then working at a car wash, I don't know if I would be super jazzed for a surprise party where the first thing I hear is surprise and then my wife saying, you're late. You know, everybody right. was here you're waiting. Incredibly late. Yeah. So I can't, I can't, I can't hate on it, hate on him for, for not being jazzed about that. Right. Uh, I, so I hear you, and I, and I agree that that would not be the most exciting thing to come home to. But when you watch him through the whole party, Josh, he never sure. really comes alive. And these are people that have come over to his house to congratulate him on turning the big 5-0. And he's just kind of in this funk the entire the entire time. And so we're not really sure what's going on. Like, is he, you know, now that he's 50, is he suddenly evaluating his own mortality? And I, I mean, I don't know. It's, that, that's a little, it seems a little young to be doing that. Um, so it's just kind of a strange scene for a number of reasons, but I think the important thing for the plot line is that uh, he finds out that you can make a lot of money making meth, right? Right. So um, then we we end up seeing him again working at a car, the car wash, and he has this coughing fit. But this time the coughing fit's so bad that he's that he passes out. He wakes up in an ambulance. He's in the ambulance. The uh, attending EMT in the ambulance asks him if he's ever been a smoker. Walt says no, asks why, and then we see him going in what looks like an MRI or a CT scanner. And then we find him sitting in front of a doctor who's in a white lab coat, and I'm going to play that scene for you right here. He's about to get some bad news. Mr. White. Mr. White? Yes. You understood what I've just said to you? Yes. Lung cancer. Inoperable. I'm sorry. I just need to make sure you fully understand. Best case scenario with chemo, I'll live maybe another couple of years. It's just, you've got mustard on your... Right there, you have mustard there. Right there? So in that scene, uh, I, I wish you could see it, but uh, if you have Netflix, go watch it. <laughs> but Walt is pointing out a small little, I would say less than dime-sized mustard stain, Josh, on the doctor's 
otherwise pristine white lab coat. So this is very interesting because Walt is sitting there receiving news that he has what is in all likelihood terminal cancer, inoperable, not not a whole lot long left to live. And he is cognizant and he's hearing the words and he's processing them at least superficially enough to regurgitate them back to the doctor. But all he's zeroing in on is the yellow, bright yellow mustard stain on the otherwise flawless white coat of the doctor. Am I reading too much into this, Josh? Or do you think there's something going on here? What's the significance of this mustard stain? It's funny that you pointed this out because it's not something I thought a whole lot about when I rewatched the episode. But I think it, I think let's take a one step back here and just say that him sort of tuning out it, to me, this is like a shell shock moment, and they even yes. do the, they even do like the the high pitch frequency, right. you know, at the beginning of the scene. I think that he just can't process all of this information, you know, at once, and so maybe the reason that he focuses on the mustard stain is because that's really the most tangible thing he can latch onto at the time, and he's looking at this doctor whose office is otherwise pristine, and who, as you pointed out, looks pristine. But there's just something out of place. And so it could just be for comedic effect, but it could also just be that him as a character, he just can't focus on anything that seems sort of intangible. Is that is that what you read into it as well? Yeah, so I, did, I wasn't quite going the intangible direction, but I do think you may be onto something there. I think what I was thinking about is that this is someone who, I mean, what does he do for a living? He's a chemistry professor. And what do chemists value? They value precision. And we'll, we're about to find out how that sort of translates into the way the the plot unfolds here. But Walt strikes me as someone who really values control and really values regularity and, like I said, precision. And in this environment where he's receiving what is probably the most devastating news he's ever received, what does he focus in on? He focuses in on the one thing that doesn't look exactly right, the one thing that's not precise. And that bothers him. So I think what this tells us is yes i think you're right josh i mean certainly probably some trouble processing and i might i might hone in on a mustard stain if i was receiving news like this as well so maybe we shouldn't read too much into it but i think vince gilligan the creator of the show and the director of this episode might be trying to show us that walt has a little bit of a control problem right like hmm. what bothers him is interesting that is his you know diagnosticians white coat that has a little mustard stain on it because he you know spilled a hot dog or something for lunch um, that's what that's what Walt keys in on as the problem in that scene, not his cancer. He, I mean, when he regurgitates the cancer information, he sounds pretty nonchalant about it, pretty unfazed. Um, but what bothers him is the mustard stain. So that's that's what I got from it. Interesting. I thought you were going to say that because he was a chemist, he was thinking, "Have you heard of OxyClean?" <laughs> right. Yeah, Mr. Clean. Let's get some of that in here. I yeah, got a heard Tide of a, pen in my an infomercial. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so he gets this this cancer diagnosis. He's obviously concerned about dying penniless because that's that's what he first starts thinking of. Um, but he also is sort of emotionally off kilter, understandably so. And when he goes to the car wash, he, he I didn't mention this before, but he works for this uh, horrible boss at the car wash who's just Bogdan. terrible to him. What's his name? Bogdan. That's right. Yeah, yeah, Bogdan. Um, he's this Eastern European car wash owner or at least manager Absolutely terrible to Walt. So uh, Walt uh, basically reaches his breaking point. He quits his job at the car wash, throwing a, a temp- temper tantrum. And then he takes Hank up on the ride-along offer. So he goes there on a, a operation in which the DEA is conducting a bust. They're taking down this local meth cook who they've called 
Captain Cook, or who's known colloquially on the streets as Captain Cook. And uh, they take down this guy named Emilio. Now, Emilio's partner in crime and his partner in drug dealing and drug making is this young man named Jesse Pinkman. Well, when the DEA go in to take down Emilio, they miss Jesse Pinkman because Jesse is next door uh, enjoying an intimate encounter with the neighbor. And Walt sees him escape through a window while Walt is sitting in the car waiting for the, the DEA agents to clear the scene inside the other house. So Walt sees Jesse leave. He sees him actually leave in a car whose license plate says Captain Cook. So Walt puts two and two together that this guy is the second half of this, uh, this duo that the DEA is trying to bust. Now, here's the, here's the key, though. Walt sees this. He doesn't tell anybody about this, including his brother-in-law, DEA agent. But he knows Jesse because Jesse was his high school student. A very poor one, but his high school student nonetheless in his chemistry class. So he knows who Jesse is. And later, he goes to Jesse's house to propose a partnership. So I'm going to play that scene uh, in, in just a moment. But Josh, I, wish, I just want to kind of circle back to what I suggested was the central tension in this, in this show. And I just want to point out that Walt gets the news of his diagnosis. He realizes he needs money. But the first thing he does is quits the job at the car wash. That doesn't strike me as the, the response of someone who is genuine and honest about his need to take care of his family. Um, he quits the job at the car wash in, like I said, a big fit of rage. And then he goes on this ride along and very quickly decides that he is going to try to cook meth. This was not a, this was not a decision, at least it doesn't strike me as a decision he made that day. It seems like a decision that he's been stewing over for a bit of time because you don't you don't just go decide in in a span of six hours to cook meth, right? I mean, I mean, maybe you do. I I don't really see how, but I think this is something that he's been stewing over for a while, and so this is one reason why I think in this episode, uh, sort of, I add this to the side of evidence for the Walt's a bad guy theory. What do you think of that? So you think that he has decided how how far in advance to possibly pursue a a career in cooking meth you know since he saw it on tv at his birthday party or even before that so yeah i think it was basically the the tv at the birthday party but i think the important thing here is that the tv at the birthday party when he found out that dea agent hank schrader busted this 700k worth of meth operation it's at that point i think that he starts to realize oh there's money to be made here and the the this is a, this is before his terminal cancer diagnosis. So, so if, if it was after instead, I would say, oh, okay, that like I see a logical connection here. He's he realizes he's dying and he needs to make a lot of money very quickly. But that's not the that's not the sequence. It's oh, he's like his curiosity is piqued by making a lot of money very quickly, and then he gets the terminal diagnosis. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that there's probably evidence to support that because as we'll learn in the deeper flashbacks later money the money situation has been something that's been going on for a while with him and his family right so i think that's potentially it it just seems like it could it could be more of a culmination of everything happening yeah so him turning 50 him having you know maybe he even suspected there was something more seriously wrong with him before he got the diagnosis they don't really get into that but it's possible he thought maybe there's something more serious happening here because he has apparently been coughing for weeks and he seems to know that it's yeah. that it's serious. So I don't know. I I always took it at face value that he sort of saw Jesse in the situation and thought mm-hmm. maybe this is something I could get into. But I don't know. You you bring up a good point. I'd never really thought about that. 
Well, I'm going to play two clips here in short succession that I think might illuminate his psyche a little bit here. The first one is when he's proposing this partnership to Jesse. And the second is when Jesse's trying to figure out what's motivating Walt, which is kind of the question that I have, right? And, and the viewers have, I think, as we're watching this. So here's Walt proposing the partnership to Jesse. You, uh, you want to cook crystal meth? You. You and, uh, and me. <laughs> That's right. Either that, or I turn you in. So this one I thought was interesting, Josh, because it's the th it's it's not just the proposal of a mutually beneficial relationship. I think right here already, well, there's two things I would say. One, this shows the calculated, cunning nature of Walt's entry into this illicit narcotics industry, uh, because. He's not just making a, he's not stumbling into this, right? He's thought about this. He's going to either, Jesse's either going to cook with him or Walt's going to turn him in. And the second thing is, and this, this is something that I think will manifest more and more as we go through the show, but this sets up fundamentally from the outset, a huge power differential between Walt and Jesse, because right from the very beginning of their partnership, it's not a true partnership. It is Walt saying, we're going to do this together or else I'm going to turn you in. He has all the leverage on Jesse. Jesse has none on him. Uh, what do you make of this, this brief interaction that kind of sets things off? For some reason, what I'm thinking about most here is that, and, and the reason, and maybe more evidence in into my court about maybe he was a good guy who was just forced into these circumstances, is that it's not, it's not really a fair fight here for Jesse because Walt clearly has the upper hand and I think he right. knows that. So he knows that he's smarter. He knows that he has leverage. So I think more so than him necessarily being devious here and saying, I'll turn you in. It's almost like, it's almost like a defense. Like he's come this far and he's, he has to backtrack a little bit by saying, okay, now I might've gotten myself into something here and so I'm going to throw out to you, if this doesn't work, I'll turn you in. It it almost felt to me not as if he was trying to be completely dominant over Jesse, although that's clearly his intention to get him right. to, to go down this path. But for some reason, I kept thinking that Walt clearly has the upper hand here. And so it's almost not a fair fight. Like yeah. he was always going to win against Jesse, no matter whether he sort of pressured him into doing it or sort of blackmailed him, him into doing it. Um, so that was kind of where I landed on that. Okay. Well, I've got another clip for your consideration. So after Jesse begrudgingly agrees to cook with Walt, we see a montage of them gathering all the things they need to do this. Uh, Walt includes uh, stuff from his school. He, he basically steals stuff from the school lab, uh, stuff that will help them cook better meth. And uh, Jesse stops him outside the high school one day. Jesse's in his car. Walt is walking to his car. And Jesse wants to know what is driving Walt to do all this. Here's that conversation. I gotta go. Wait, wait, hold up. Tell me why you're doing this. Seriously. Why do you do it? Money? Mainly? There you go. Nah, come on. Man... Some straight like you, giant stick up his ass, all of a sudden at age, what, 60, he's just gonna break bad? I'm 50. It's weird. 
is all, okay? It, it doesn't compute. Listen, if you've gone crazy or something, I mean, if you've, if you, if you've gone crazy or depressed, I'm, I'm just saying, that, that's something I need to know about, okay? I mean, that, that affects me. I am awake. <laughs> what? Buy the RV. We start tomorrow. <laughs> All right, Josh. So a few things there. One, for our listeners who are wondering what the reference was at the end, they're going to cook meth in an RV, hence the... The, the way the show started at the very beginning of this episode when he was driving the RV. So when Walt says buy the RV, they're going to they're gonna cook meth in this. Uh, a few more things on this, Josh. One, uh, this is the brilliance of Aaron Paul, the actor who plays Jesse Pinkman. I, I love Jesse Pinkman's character, and Aaron Paul does a fantastic job in this show. I think it's absolutely incredible. And this, it, you have to see it too. Uh, so to our listeners, go watch this. You go watch this performance by Aaron Paul. Um, but he's just, he's fantastic in all of these, and I think this conversation highlights exactly why that is. You see so many so many good things that make Jesse Pinkman who he is, and Aaron Paul is making all those things come through. I love the comedic element of you know some guy you know stuff like you turns sixty and then decides to break bad. So two things: one, you have the comedic element. He's only fifty, and and uh, Jesse Pinkman saying he's sixty, and then this is the first reference to Breaking Bad, right? He's going to break bad, is what uh, Jesse says. So that's interesting. But but to your to your uh, point here, Josh, what do you make of this conversation? Where uh, I mean, I kind of side with Jesse, honestly. So Walt tries to say it's about money. He's doing the meth thing because it's about money, and Jesse doesn't buy it. And he's like, nah, right? And Walt doesn't push back on that. But what does Walt say? I am awake. First of all, what does that mean? I, I mean, I'm I'm with Jesse. Like what? What? And and Vince Gilligan, who directed this episode and created the show, like I mentioned. He just lets that hang in the air for, I don't know, a solid three seconds. I am awake. What? And then Walt gets in his car by the RV, leaves with a command, and then drives away. So what do you what do you make of this, Josh? This was a really powerful scene in this episode to me. I think that my first thought about all of this is that I still am not convinced that he has always had this evil inside of him and that all of a sudden he's just able to tap into it. And I think a lot of that evidence comes from the fact that he seems uncomfortable with a lot of the things surrounding drug making and drug dealing that he's just not aware of yet. And that in later in this episode and then the future episodes in season one, we learn that he's just not comfortable with everything that goes along with it. Yeah. So I think that he thinks that this is... What he wants to be doing, that I think that's the reference to like, I'm awake, like I finally feel free to do something. Right. But I think that the bottom line is that he is not aware of everything that goes into it. Like if it was just the precision of making the drug and that was it, I think he'd be fine. But what we'll learn soon is that he has to get into a lot of other things in this business that he didn't expect. And I think that to me shows that he has good inside of him at the beginning. He thought that he was on this path where he felt in control, but once he learns everything that it entails, you immediately see the discomfort in him. 
Yeah, I, I can. I mean, I agree with that to a large extent. I, I want to clarify my position on Walter White here, though. I don't think that he is a wholly evil man from birth. You know, like I, I don't think that he gets into this trade because of that. I think my contention is that you know, like we talked about Aristotle already, our 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 actions have consequences because our actions are what create the habits of virtues or vices in our lives, and the entire progression of Walt that begins in this episode, I don't think you get that progression starting from the life of a virtuous person, a person who has cultivated the virtues throughout his or her entire life. So I think basically, and we'll see this kind of in flashbacks, I think that there are choices that Walt has made earlier in life and and things that have happened to him perhaps, but I think primarily it's about choices that he's made that have given him the moral character to do what he then later does in this show. And so I'm not suggesting that like from the outset he is ready to break bad to the extent that he is going to become a mass murderer. But I do think that he's at the very least ready to break bad because like you said, he's free of the constraints, right? I am awake. He's ready enough to break bad because he thinks he's above the law because he thinks he can do this specifically cook meth better than anyone ever has. What do you think about that? Is that sound reasonable? Yeah, it sounds reasonable, but maybe it's more about, back to your earlier point, that he wants to be a perfectionist in something. He wants to have control over something yeah. where he has no control in other aspects aspects of his life. And I'm not sure that that... Is a I bad think thing. It, yeah, I'm not sure that that trait in particular is a bad thing. It's just what he chooses to do with it is the bad thing. So you can imagine that he found a more moral profession to go into not the car wash but something else where we would be having a completely different discussion about this person that okay his biggest vice is that he wants to have control i don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing when the rest of his life is spiraling yeah well i do think a lot of it a lot of it comes down to how you channel the energies and passions abilities that you have so Let's um let's kind of talk about some of the final scenes here and then we'll wrap up this first episode. So so they are working together to cook, to cook meth. Jesse does go by the RV. They take this RV out into the middle of nowhere in the New Mexico desert and they cook some meth that uh, let's just say it impresses Jesse. Here's a scene of him reacting to that. This is glass grade. And you got, Jesus, you got crystals in here two inches, three inches long. This is pure glass. You're a goddamn artist. This, this is art, Mr. White. Actually, it's just basic chemistry, but thank you, Jesse. I'm glad it's acceptable. Acceptable? You're the goddamn Iron Chef. Every jib head from here to Timbuktu is gonna wanna taste. Man, I gotta, gotta try this. No, 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 we only sell it, we don't use it. Okay, since when? Listen, you've been watching way too much Miami Vice. That ain't happening. So, what now? How do we proceed? We cook more tomorrow. Meantime, I know just the guy to talk to. 
Before we jump ahead, I, I want to ask you something about that scene in particular, because that when we listen to it again now, it struck me. Do you think maybe that Walter doesn't think that what he's doing is necessarily wrong because he he's allowing himself to not see the consequences? You know, he won't let Jesse use it. He says, we just sell it. We don't use it. He, he doesn't want to think about the other side of it. You know, when he first meets Jesse and goes to his house and he sort of sees the environment he lives in, he almost feels like he, he almost acts like I am better than you and everything that I'm doing is going to be, you know, it's going to be very cut and dry. Everything's going to be yep. uh, tip top shape. Yep. So do you maybe think that right or wrong, he thinks that what he's doing isn't really that bad? Like clearly he knows that that cooking meth is illegal. Right. But if he only sees the chemistry part of it and then the money that comes in from it, then do you think that he can convince himself that I'm I'm not I'm not you know, I'm not forcing people to use it. I'm just cooking it and, and letting them and, and this is making me money. You know, clearly he knows that it's wrong. I mean, there's no doubt about that. He, right. His brother-in-law is a DEA agent. Yeah. But maybe he's convincing himself that this is a way for him to be in control of something without having to see any consequences. And what he'll soon learn, and what I was referencing earlier, is that the consequences come very quickly. Yes, very, very quickly. That's a great point, Josh. I also hadn't thought of it quite exactly that way. But to me, the answer is no. There's. I would suggest he doesn't... I would suggest he definitely knows it is wrong and not just legally problematic, but actually morally wrong. I think though that his efforts to distance himself are a symptom of his need for control, his need for cleanliness and precision, right? He's disgusted with, you know, every time Jesse does something that's, that's gross or unhygienic, right? Um, when people smoke cigarettes in his lab, he gets irritated. Th things like that, I think are all a testament to his sort of, uh, personal need for kind of purity and precision. Um, he certainly doesn't know the mechanics of the trade. And I think the reason that he wanted to partner with Jesse is because Jesse does. And he knows that Jesse has, you know, a distributor, suppliers. He has the, at least a sort of embryonic supply chain ready to go. But I just, I have to give Walt more credit than to think that he is actually doing something that's morally neutral. I think he knows the effects of drugs. He does have a brother-in-law who's in the DEA. So He's at least seen those effects secondhand from or, or heard about them secondhand from his brother-in-law. I just think that the need for control is really kind of another another check against the morality of Walter because of the way he goes about this. He's not he's not willing to get his hands dirty while he's doing it. He has to also be above the fray, even though he maintains full knowledge of what's happening, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so Jesse goes to crazy eight and that's, sorry, that's the name of the guy who Jesse thought would be willing to buy the, the meth and crazy eight happens to be his former partner, Emilio's cousin. Remember Emilio is the one who was arrested by DEA agents when, uh, Walt was on the ride along. So Jesse goes to crazy eight in order to try and arrange a deal. Emilio happens to be out on bail. So he's there. Emilio and crazy eight both jump Jesse they force him at gunpoint to take them to the RV where Walt was doing the cooking. So the three of them arrive at the RV. Walt figures out what's going on. Jesse tries to run away, falls, hits his head on a rock, is out like a light. And Crazy Eight and Emilio try to force Walt to show them how to make the meth. 
And then it's very clear their plan after that is to kill Walt and Jesse. So Walt realizes he's kind of uh, up against a wall here, and he makes a chemical reaction that instantly generates toxic phosphine gas. Then he runs out of the RV before Emilio and Crazy Eight know what hit them. He locks them inside, holds them in there until everything's quiet in the RV again. Um, and then Walt realizes that Emilio's cigarette, which he had tossed out of the window when Walt got irritated that he was smoking in the RV, uh, and I think was also a fire hazard, uh, that cigarette has started a brush fire. So now there's a brush fire. There's potentially two dead guys in the RV. There's Jesse, who's unconscious uh, just outside the RV because he hit his head on a rock. And Walt is standing there in his underwear and a cooking apron and a gas mask. So um, so he loads Jesse into the RV. Once he realizes he can't get the fire out, uh, he puts a gas mask on Jesse so he won't die from the gas. He, he puts his own gas mask on and then drives away forgetting to uh, put his, or not, not having time to put his clothes on. His pants are still hanging from the mirror of the RV. And then roars away, drives away with the RV. He hears the sirens, the same sirens we heard in the beginning. So now we're, we're finally seeing the fullness of the scene that we started with in the very beginning of this episode. He assumes the police are coming to get him. Uh, he, once we, once we pick up where he, where we left off at the beginning, the RV has crashed. He's finished making his recording to his family where he says, I only had you in my heart. He walks out into the street to face the cops. He points the, points the gun down the street towards where he thinks the cops are coming. And then he actually points it at his own head and tries to pull the trigger, but either the gun jams or it's empty. Nothing happens. So he gets very frustrated. But then around the bend come the vehicles with the sirens and they turn out to be fire trucks coming to turn out the fire. So Walt lives to cook another day. And uh, that's where we end that scene. And then he returns to his home to returns home to his family who still don't know about the cancer diagnosis, obviously. And the episode ends very uh, sort of strangely with Walt having what looks like very rough sex with Skylar. They're not making eye contact but Skylar looks surprised like this has not happened before. It's very strange. It's animalistic. And based on what we know about Walt and Skylar's relationship, it looks totally uncharacteristic for this mild-mannered chemistry teacher and family man. And that's literally how the how the episode ends and we cut to credits. So Josh, any thoughts on the, the final sequences there? Yeah, I was thinking more about the camcorder recording. Yeah. And I think it could probably fit into your theory about wanting some element of control and wanting to have the last word essentially and make sure that his side of the story is told. But the more that I think about it, the more that it makes me think that he really did sort of realize the error of his ways initially and decide to, to make amends, tell his family how he felt. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that someone who, who's gone down a bad path and has and is on this trend towards an, an evilness makes this recording. I, I just, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think that their, their thought is more of self-preservation. Like he could choose to run at that point and leave, but for some reason he makes the recording waste precious time. If it really was the cops and you know, does this. And it so, is, he says it's not an admission of guilt, but the right. video is pretty darn incriminating too. Right. Yeah. I think he, I think he realizes that. Yeah. But I just feel like someone who is, who is on the path to, who is on, who, who has a moral, you know, who has no morality in that point doesn't make that video. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. And 
I don't think that it's that he has no morality. So again, I don't want to suggest that Walt is wholly corrupted from the beginning to the end. Right. I I think again that he's starting at a. I, I guess what I'm saying is, my position is he's starting at a more corrupt, starting from a more corrupt position than I think many people assume when they watch this show. Like he is not a wholly benevolent, mild mannered chemistry teacher from the beginning who just has really bad things happen to him. He is a guy who has made bad choices in his life and has not cultivated good virtues. And right. when he's right. in a, when he's in a position that challenges those things and puts his, his ethics to the test, he fails and right. uh, it ends up being a downward spiral for him. The other thing I want to say about uh, just those last scenes is Emilio, could he have made better decisions? He's out on bail. He immediately chooses to to yeah. kidnap someone. No kidding. <laughs> Go oh back goodness. to cooking meth. I mean, come on, Emilio. Yeah, you're getting not... a chance there out on bail, and and you blew it. Yeah, I think we see a pretty clear reason as to why Emilio and Jesse would be partners. Just, yeah, definitely. It's like Abbott and Costello decide to cook meth or something. <laughs> right. Um, all right, Josh. Before we wrap up here, do you have do you have some final questions or final things to think about? I've got one one way to wrap up the episode, but I'll give you a chance to to throw a question or two. Sure. So the first thing that I wanted to ask is, obviously, this wouldn't make for a very good TV show, but how do you think Walt's situation would be different if he had something else in his life that kept him grounded? So I'm thinking about faith in something, a stronger relationship with his family, something to keep him him going, like a hobby. I don't know. It just seems like his life is so devoid of, of really anything that makes it worth living almost yeah you're right i mean we talked about that with the veggie bacon or vegan bacon scene there's there's nothing there it's it's all empty it seems very devoid even the even the conversation with his family at the breakfast table very strained and uh it just sort of lacks life it's 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 hard to explain i mean you you may have heard it there but it's easier to see it as well i think uh but i think you're totally right josh there's there's nothing else there to sort of be a creative outlet for him. I think it's clear that Walt is a brilliant man and that only becomes more clear as the show develops and he doesn't have an outlet for those abilities. I think that has to be something that's frustrating, especially for someone who is very interested in control. Um, it's, it's also, at least it seems like he has no faith in a higher power. And that is, I think another thing that can prompt virtuous behavior. Um, and yeah, so his family relationship is not good. He, it doesn't seem like he has any friends, really. Uh, the the person who I think he's probably friendliest with is his brother-in-law, but he and Hank uh, Schrader are very, very different people, and they just hang out in sort of group social settings uh, at family events. So I think you're right. This this would be a different show. This could be a one-episode <laughs> uh, open-and-shut right. case if that was the case, um, but it's not. It would be a very different show if, if yeah. you know, he got the cancer diagnosis, he went to his family, he went to his local parish priest and said, you know, can you pray for me? And then, oh, miraculous right. recovery and show over. Right. That would be that would be very different. I think, though, that what I kind of hoped for was that there was a little because because now that I'm hearing you talk through all of this and, and maybe he's not as good a guy as we maybe initially think when we watch a show, I kind yeah. of wish that there was a little bit something more that he had to hold on to before he breaks away from that. Because mm -hmm. I think that ultimately that would help the relationship with the viewer to Walter. You know, you might, you might understand a little bit more like his struggle if he had something that 
he was really committed to that he broke that he chose to break away from as opposed to starting from a point of I don't really have anything and so I'm just going to go down this path. So that's just something nitpicky for me in in the first episode. Um, I mean, I think that the only faults that the pilot has, in my opinion, are that Vince Gilligan is not shy about the family having money troubles. I mean, it's like kind of on the nose, like, right. oh my gosh, Skyler's trying to pay bills on the phone, which who, I mean, it's 2008. Who does that? Who pays yeah, bills on the phone? That's good. That's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe, and maybe, then it's, maybe it's different in New Mexico though, Josh. <laughs> maybe so. And you know that he's, he's at a job at the car wash that is wholly dissatisfying. I mean, yeah. that, that's just a little on the nose for me in terms of, you know, his dissatisfaction in life. Right. So I kind of wish there was a little bit something more tying him to a reality um, but other than that, I mean, I think the the first episode sets us up well for the whole series. Yeah. My other question for you is, where do you think this ranks in terms of all-time pilots for TV shows? Because this one has been consistently ranked as as one of the highest. Uh, for me, it's not quite number one. I think the my favorite pilot episode is probably Lost, which... Uh, starts off with a bang. It's also two hours long, so it has a little bit more room to grow. Sure. And I also really like the pilot for Friday Night Lights, another really um, oh yeah show sure. that has a good pilot as well. So, what about you? Does this uh, is this pretty high up there for you? Well, before I answer, let me ask you this question: If you could, if you because Lost had that two hour window, if you combine episodes one and two of Breaking Bad, does it surpass Lost, or do you still rank Lost ahead? I think you would have to combine one, two, and three of okay. Breaking Bad because two and three are almost connected in yes, their story, which we'll we'll talk about in the next two episodes of this. Yeah. But uh, I still think Lost, it's just such an interesting concept for a show that I'm not sure that even combining episodes would, would beat it out for me. Well, I, I think I would put this at number one on my list of best pilots ever. I also really like the pilot for The Office, but it's really hard to compare those because it's sure. <laughs> it's apples and oranges. Sure. Um, and I think just because of all of the all of the artistic power behind this one, I have to put this one in the number one spot. So for me, this does indeed reach number one. And I've always said, you know, my opinion is that pilots are the hardest thing to do well. Absolutely. Because you have to set up character, but you also have to drive story forward enough that keeps people interested. Right. So I certainly think Vince Gilligan he did that in this episode. I'm interested to see, you know, now that I'm thinking about it as we go through, I'm interested to see how the episodes take on different forms as we have different directors and writers. Because Vince, sure. Vince Gilligan is the show show's creator, but he doesn't direct all the episodes and uh, he doesn't write all the episodes. So I think it'll be, it'll be fun to see them change a little bit and see what we can pick up. Definitely. All right, Josh, if that's the last question you've got, I've got one for us to close on here. And uh, this this is at least an easy one for me to answer, but I think it's a good one to talk about. And I think we want to close with this one or at least include this question in every episode that we have. But for this episode, episode one, the pilot of Breaking Bad, who do you think had the best acting performance? Who's the MVP for this episode? I think it's pretty clear that you have to give it to Brian Cranston yeah. for the episode. I, th- I think this w- this was an easy call, right? Because he's yeah. the he's the protagonist. It's clear that it's going to be about him. Right. And it, it, like I said, with that camcorder scene, it opens with that. It's hard to top that. I think specifically that's what I would point to. The camcorder scene with Brian Cranston. That is when you know this is going to be a serious show and Brian Cranston means business. I think we should keep a tally as we go through to see how many times each individual character 
gets the MVP and when, Ooh, that's when we're point. split on it, when we're split on it. Cause I think, you know, people might assume that it might be Brian Cranston most of the time, but I actually think that as we go through the series, I think we're going to have some, some really great performances. From some underdogs. Yeah, yeah, I totally absolutely. agree. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, right now the score is Brian Cranston one, all others. Everybody zero. else zero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all I've got, Josh. Anything else you have on episode one? That's a wrap on episode one. Great. Well, to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to the first episode here of The Breaking Pod. Josh and I had a blast breaking this one down. I'm really excited to get to episode two and beyond. Hopefully, you'll join us for those. If you have any thoughts at all, uh, you want to join the conversation, just shoot us an email, breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. We'd love to hear your feedback. What do we miss on this show? Do you think that there's something that we overlooked or do you want to take issue with something we said? Uh, Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Hopefully you're as big a Breaking Bad fan as we are. If not, hopefully you're watching it as you listen to these uh, and encouraging your friends to do so as well. We're trying to structure these episodes so that we can basically walk through the episodes in chronological order and avoid major plot spoilers if you are watching it for the first time. So please don't feel like you can't watch Breaking Bad for the first time simultaneously with this podcast because we're trying to make it uh, amenable to veteran fans and newbies alike. But we love this show. We think it has a lot to say about what it means to be human. And we're excited to share this whole journey with you as we go through every single episode. All right. So breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. I am Zach Kirpin. On the other line is Josh Goldman. Thanks so much. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to The Breaking Pod.